The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Peter Strachan, and this is Stockhead's Rock Yarns. Today, we're delighted to have Gary Jeffrey on board, and Gary is the managing director of Californian-centred oil and gas company, Sagasco. Welcome, uh, Gary, and congratulations on announcing the spudding of your well in the northern part of California uh, yesterday. That must be quite an exciting time for the company. Very exciting time, Peter. It's been a while coming, but uh, um, we're, we're, we're glad to be drilling and um, and to have overcome yeah, some of the little hurdles that we've had along the way. So, yes, you did. Uh, uh, I guess the, the well's been three or four years in gestation and you've gone through uh, market, market cycles, pandemics, uh, and you've had to sort out uh, the ownership of the, uh, the permits. But at the end of the day, it's actually probably ended up in your favour because you've ended up with a lot more exposure to this well than you might have if you'd been drilling it three years ago. Yes, um, that's very true, Peter. You know, out of uh, adversity sometimes comes uh, benefits. Um, we, we drilled the Dempsey well in late 2017, and that created a lot of excitement, you know, both here and and, and in California. And it, it was it, the reason for that is it was the first well to flow commercial quantities of natural gas from these older reservoirs. Uh, that are located under the uh, you know the 13 TCF uh, of, of gas that's been produced from the younger sediments in the basin. And while we were drilling that well, you know, we got into a bit of a bidding battle with California's largest oil and gas company at the time, and uh, that resulted in us sort of having a bit of split leases, and we owned the majority, but uh, we didn't have it all. And over the three-year life of those leases, you know, we tried to... Uh, facilitate um, made various approaches to, to facilitate a joint venture but we didn't make any real progress and then along came you know a downturn in prices uh, and that company uh, our competitor was forced into uh, uh, managed bankruptcy um, and that allowed us to uh, yeah, pick up the balance of the leases and uh, consequently with our partner X-State we now have you know 100% of the leases we, we need over the uh, Borba prospect and uh, hence we're drilling. That's a fantastic outcome at the end of the day you had to have been very patient and you've raised enough money to drill this well it, I think what's the, the your expected cost to, to total depth? Um, total depth uh, dry hole cost, and I hate saying that word, but that just happens to be how we ca- categorise it. It's it's the cost to get to uh, the uh, t- total depth of the well, in this case basement, and uh, to uh, log it. Um, that that's a little over four million dollars US, so under under um, uh, six million Aussie. Yeah. So uh, what's the current program? You've just commenced drilling and you've said in your announcement today that uh, you'll get down to around eight or 900 metres and then set casing. What happens from there? Yeah. Um, forgive me if I switch between feet and, and metres. Obviously, we work in feet over there and translate to metres here. But um, sure. we, we're going to, we've kicked off uh, drilling directionally. 
uh, through the multiple, you know, 11 to 15 stacked 3D seismic anomalies, depending on who's count, counting. And we're going to end up in basement rock at around 9,700 feet or some 3,000 metres below the surface. We First thing we have to do is set some 13.38-inch casing at around 1,800 feet or uh, 600 metres, as you said. And that's to seal off and protect the freshwater aquifers. At that point in time, we, we stick a 5,000-pound blowout preventer on the top of the casing, and then we drill in 12 and a half, uh, a quarter-inch hole down to around 6,000 feet. And we collect the rock samples and monitor for gas shows as we go. The, the first of the uh, reservoir, mapped reservoir anomalies is around 3,700 feet, and, and that's an offset from the nearby West Ord Bend gas fields. And below that level, there's always a chance of, of reservoirs that are not on our radar. But the next uh, main objective is the Gwinda sandstone around 5,800 feet. Uh, these sands are mapped to lie within a large seismic anomaly on a structural closure that's updipped from a well with reservoir development that were not tested at the time for corporate reasons. Um, so the technical work, you've, you've done a lot of technical work on this uh, Borba prospect and as you said you've outlined seismic anomalies uh, which indicate petroleum what other clues do you have that gives you confidence to believe that these um, sedimentary horizons will actually contain horizon other than the seismic anomalism is there anything else regionally that leads you to believe they'll, they'll have petroleum in them yes Peter um Obviously, the key indicator is the 3D seismic. You know, the, the, these anomalies are just absolute standout anomalies. Um, and as shareholders can see from the displays we've published to date, um, no matter what we do, we can't just explain them away. And of course, what we, we have been able to do is calibrate what we found at Dempsey, which were poorer reservoirs, into the 3D seismic, and we have extensive 3D seismic. And we've actually developed you know, a model for deposition here that's a bit different from the models that have been used in the past. Um, you know, there's, there's a good paper uh, that uh, I think Gather is doing the rounds at the moment on hot copper um, that uh, lays out some of the depositional patterns that go out into the basin and, and deposit good-looking reservoirs in the mountains along the coastal range. Now, we've, we've refined that model further, and we believe we can see on the seismic uh, you know, a damming um, damming as in ponding uh, of yeah. uh, sands along the, the, the Dempsey-Borba trend. And um, we think that is a, is a logical explanation for the anomalism that we see on the 3D seismic. So, so you think we, that these are... These, all, the, uh, all the data. Yeah, these sediments have been deposited in a more high-energy environment, therefore likely to be better quality than you found at Dempsey, even though there was gas in those sediments that didn't flow at a really a commercial rate. 
that that that's correct and and uh, we we believe that uh, our original model was get high on the structure which is a model used by many of us around the world over many years um but in in our case it, uh, that just took us away from the channel channels that uh, we were able to map based on what we saw in Dempsey and uh, refine that that depositional model and all the channels and the uh, um, sand uh, depositing mechanisms that are coming off the Sierra Nevada mountains to the east uh, seem to all come together in, in the Borba area and and, and there, there's a logic to that structurally as well so we, we think that that all sort of comes to points to there being better sand reservoirs at that at Borba. So in the in when these uh, back in the Permian or whenever these uh, sands were de- being deposited, you had a, a river bed and that was then dropping sediments in these areas and over millions of years stacked up one above the other over you know, thousands of feet, simplistically. Yes, yes. And yes, sim- simplicity, Peter, that's exactly right, uh, <laughs> except these are Cretaceous, not, not Permian reservoirs. Yeah, well, they're younger. younger uh, than our... Yeah, yeah, Perth Basin reservoirs, uh, which are uh, the Permians. Um, yeah. But yes, we we believe that there's a they've stacked up over a few million years, and um, you know because the these structures uh, are growing as the the Pacific Plate is is smashing into California uh, and rotating around. It's, it's, it means the rocks get jostled around over time, and so the, the north south structure we believe is just being squeezed and, and popped up a little bit dropped a little bit popped up a little bit and forming a little dam for for sediments you know, at the Borba location and and that's it's that model that gives us confidence that uh, and, and makes us excited about uh, drilling in this location so gary the californian gas market can you, you you've put out some statistics on that in various presentations can you just run us through what's going on there today of course we've had the big freeze in the south of the country in the united states and that would have had an impact on the gas prices in california to some extent yes it does if you look at the the plot of gas prices and we we use pg&e citygate prices as our reference uh, pricing in Northern California, and they bounced up to uh, uh, over eight dollars um, during the, the depth of the freeze. Now, California didn't didn't freeze anywhere near to the extent that uh, Texas and, and the mid middle of the U.S. did. You know, where gas prices went through the roof in some places, well over a thousand dollars an MCF versus our you know eight dollars. Today, you know, things are settling down. We're back around our sort of mid four dollar price range which is close to five dollars aussie and uh you know th- those are good prices uh for, for us to uh, to have get good cash flow out of a good result from uh Bulba. yeah and it's still a dollar premium to henry harbert four dollars so it's a good price we're all, we're all, almost always, you know. There's probably one day or two days a year where we're we're not at a fifteen percent or more premium to Henry Hub, uh, 
Um, and that's because California is a big state, you know, a popular state, a high energy consuming state. You know, it's it's the fifth biggest economy in the world as a state, yeah. uh, and it consumes seven BCF of gas a day. You know, and that that's that's uh, seven times what Western Australia consumes, and and, and and over what Australia consumes as a whole. Yeah, and, yeah. and yet they only supply less than ten percent. So, uh, Gary, in the event of success, which you're hopeful and confident of, what's the, a realistic timeline to get that gas actually flowing out to sales? I know you've said that it's close to our transmission lines. What sort of timeline and what sort of capacity do those trans, uh, you know, transport ne- mechanisms have? The, the major uh, time uh, mainline gas system in California has lots and lots of capacity. Um, so that capacity is not an issue for the main line. Uh, we plan on taking this gas uh, back to our Dempsey location where we have a meter station and connections uh, back to the, the main line gas system. And uh, we've got something like 20, 20 million uh, cubic feet of gas a day capacity there and, and we can increase that capacity quite easily. It's about a five-mile um, pipeline uh, lay from where we are at Bulba across to Dempsey. Um, you know, there are a couple of intermediate points that we might tap into, but uh, we we can easily lay uh, along the right-of-ways. Um, I expect it to be flowing gas within weeks, not months, uh, mm. through the Dempsey facility uh, you know, upon success. Yeah, and and if if this is successful, you've got some follow-ups that you'd like to drill on the Borba prospect or in the nearby region? Certainly, uh, we we have a a very happy uh, situation in terms of follow-ups. Of course, you know, Ideally, if we can find uh, gas in multiple zones here, we, we would immediately uh, slide the, the rig across and, and uh, drill a uh, well directionally in a different direction to uh, tap into you know, either the same reservoir uh, to drain it faster or, or, or additional reservoirs that we've found in, in Borba um, and, and, uh, and increase the gas flow that way. Um, the next stage would be to drill uh, either uh, an exploration appraisal well uh, just to the north on another very anomalous area near Borba and within the Borba AMI, uh, or um, depending on the uh, interpretation of the results and how they correlate back to the the broader 3D, uh, go up to uh, Dempsey and, and drill uh, the, the uh, correlative sands uh, off the Dempsey structure. Um, yeah, so okay. there's, there's lots of opportunity here. So, Gary, are you going to be logging while drilling here or will you be pulling out and setting down a separate uh, wireline log on the occasions? Uh, we we wireline log um, at at casing points. Um, yeah. We we don't uh, 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 do logging while drilling, and uh, because you know, it increases the risk. It it uh, puts more jewelry in the ground. Uh, yeah. It's a much more expensive uh, set of equipment in the ground and higher risk. So Gary, can we just move up to Canada? You've been busy during the lull. Was the oil prices went to thirty, thirty-five dollars a barrel, and they're now sixty-five dollars a barrel, and you've been able to pick up some uh, undervalued assets in Canada. 
paying about a dollar a barrel, I think, from the metrics that I've seen for two projects. What's happening with those projects now? How much are they? How much oil are they producing to Sagasco's account? The second of the projects that we announced, um, which we've closed on, um, now it's. Um, I think we announced that we were buying into 500 barrel a day of of, um, of reactivation uh, in those fields initially. Um, we and we were doing about 100 barrels a day at the time. Uh, that's that's uh, more than doubled um, from the 100 barrels a day. We're, we're well on its way to to the 500. Obviously, it's pretty cold up there at the moment and yeah. enormously cold even for Canada. So that slowed us down a little bit, but that's coming along really well, and uh, we expect to uh, meet our deadline our um, goals that uh, we've announced of 500 barrels a day gross, 100 net to us um, within uh, you know, within weeks again. Um, yeah. The other project, uh, we're just going through the, the, the uh, approval uh, because we have acquired assets there and so we need to have approval of our operator uh, by the regulator and that we're going through that process that's coming along well uh, that those assets are currently producing close to a thousand barrels a day uh, and we're working on ways to uh, in, in, improve on that once we uh, get get our our close on that project and and, and get full ownership uh, so and that's 30 percent of that so that's 300 barrels there 100 barrels at the second project um, so it's 400 barrels net to uh, to uh, Sakasco. What's what's your expectation, Gary, of of where those projects will be in, you know, sort of by the sort of October September period of this year, uh, in, in terms of net oil to Sagasco's account. Um, I would think that we will be you know three you know. Uh, five or six hundred barrels yeah. a, a day uh, net to the Gasco's accounts would be not be an unreasonable expectation. And Peter, we're looking at others, uh, asset acquisitions as well, with uh, with, with similar metrics. Um, and um, you know, if we pull a, pull some of those off, uh, we'll, we'll be doing even better than that. Will you? Will the company have to uh, chip in additional cash, or will the the cash flow from operations be sufficient to? to fund the, you know, redevelopments that you're doing? We might have to chip a little bit extra in from time to time up front, Peter, but the philosophy of our operator, and which is one you know, I've been long brought up on, is, is smart capital. And smart capital is uh, that that sort of investment that you can get a return on your capital within six months. And that's the approach that uh, our operator is taking to these uh, assets at this point in time. So, um, you know, we might have to put a little bit extra in now, but uh, we're expecting to get that back and to be cash flow positive uh, very, very quickly. Yeah, and I actually... I actually underplayed the oil price. It's actually $66.40 as we speak, so for Brent. And uh, I think at the time you were considering these acquisitions, it was probably closer to 50. So it's already 
looking good. Yeah. And and it was le- less than that, Peter. Oh, right. <laughs> no, I mean, we were you know, we we were looking at these acquisitions when everyone said the end of the oil industry is nigh, which is a as contrarian investors, which I am one. Um, that's the time you go hard. Um, I just find it astounding that uh, companies are are giving these assets away at this point in time. Uh, we're going to we consume a lot of oil. We're consuming 90 million a day of uh, barrels a, a day. In, in a COVID uh, pandemic worldwide, um, down from 110, um, oil isn't going to go away and the need for oil isn't going to go away in the short term or in the medium, medium term. So we, we see opportunity here and uh, well, it's overused a, phrase, once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, well, it's a very exciting time for the company, Gary, and uh, you've said a 35-day well. So we've got until the end of March to see what happens through the whole sequence at uh, Borba and then there should be ongoing, I guess, announcements as you bring back that production and those two projects once you've got your hands fully on the uh, on the levers there. So we'll be watching very closely and I hope that at some point in April when you've all the dust has settled, you'll be able to come in and tell us about the discovery <laughs> that you're uh, hoping to make. Nothing would give me greater pleasure, Peter. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank okay, you. Okay, well, th- thanks for coming in and uh, and telling us about what's going on there. It's uh, it's a very exciting time for you and your colleagues at Sagasco, I'm sure, and I'll be watching for the announcements as they come through. So thanks for coming into Stockhead today. Thank you, Peter, for the opportunity.